Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. I'm speaking to you from New York City. Uh, This is the 5th day of May 2020. And as always, I'd like to uh, thank each of you for listening to this show and making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. And I want to invite you to keep your questions, comments, whatever you have to say about this show. Send them along to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. Questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. I also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Without them, there would be no show. Sponsors today are uh, in resources, Ely Gold Royalties, Great Bear Resources, Hannon Metals, Irving Resources, Novo Resources, and Sitka Gold Corp. Before I introduce today's show, there are a couple of announcements that I would like to make. First, on May 14th, 2020, that's just coming up in another a little more than a week from now, I'll be a part of the Virtual Metals Investor Forum, a live event that will take place. Gwen Preston, Brian London, and myself as newsletter writers will be inviting some of our favorite companies along to present their stories, and each of us will also be providing our views of the markets. So Gwen Preston, Brian London, and myself, you know, the best way to make money in this uh, mining sector, the one that I'm so involved with, is to learn about great companies before they become widely known. And that's what the Metals Investor Forum is all about. Unlike other resource investor conferences, the Metals Investor Forum brings you a curated list of companies followed by one or more of the newsletter writers that host it. In other words, the companies that present there are not just companies because they have some money, they can come on and, and do their part there and, and uh, tell their story, but they have to be vetted by one of the newsletter writers. So each of us will be inviting our favorite, uh, a few of our favorite companies along. Uh, that is on the 14th of May. Now, you should go to J. Taylor Media. J. Taylor Media, there's a banner there. You need to register for this. Go there, click on that banner at J. Taylor Media. Uh, and uh, provide your email, and then you'll be uh, able to get in and listen to this live event uh, that will be starting at around noon, I believe it is, in New York time. But the if you go there, it will give you the exact time and information that you need. Um, I should just mention that a, a good example of how you can profit from this event, uh, Great Bear Resources, and I see it's up to $8.50. Gwen Preston was the first newsletter writer to bring it to my attention, to bring it to the attention of the Metals Investor Forum people in Vancouver a couple of years ago. I believe I picked it up at $0.46 cents or something like that in the in my newsletter. Well, today I just checked and said $8.50. It's uh, trading very, very strongly, and I think it probably has quite a ways to go yet. Of course, Great Bear is a sponsor of this show. Chris Taylor has been on this program numerous times and will be with us again in the not-too-distant future. The second announcement that I'd like to make uh, is that I would like to encourage you to go to Jay Taylor, uh, go to miningstocks.com. Go to miningstocks.com because I post every day company news. It's very important. But if you scroll down a little bit, you'll also find some real headline uh economic headlines that are very, very important at this time, and things that I really pick out that I think are very significant and important. So, for example, uh, the ISM PMI surveys uh, collapse, numbers collapse in U.S. GDP, uh, heading much lower. These are uh, things that you can go to that, go to miningstocks.com, click on the links. Here's another one. Will uh, will the market retest lows for the summer? Lance Roberts uh, provides information on that. U.S. trade uh, deficit widens on record crash in exports. Another 
uh, another article, Why It's Different This Time by Charles Hugh Smith. These are just a few of the very important news um, and, and essays that you can pick up uh, from, uh, from miningstocks.com. So go there and avail yourself to that. Uh, a quick and easy way to get to a lot of different, very important um, thoughts on today's markets, some very challenging markets uh, that we are now facing. Well, today's show I've titled Monetary Madness and Three Outcomes for Gold. Dan Oliver and Chen Lin are this week's guests. Nature gave us gold for money and currency. It is the best form of money known to man, not only for economic stability and prosperous uh, and for a prosperous egalitarian capitalist society, but also to ensure economic stability through an ongoing market adjustments that occur when markets are free. But increasingly, since 1971, when President Nixon removed gold from the international monetary system, we've had the opposite system. That has led us to a redistribution of income from people who create wealth, like the miners, the manufacturers, the farmers, the inventors, to a ruling elite in the financial markets and in government. Now, those classes of people become very rich at the expense of Americans' once thriving middle classes. And in the process, with money created out of thin air, the entire global monetary system has become much less stable with each credit cycle. Now we are facing what many think could very well be a depression even greater than that of the 1930s, thanks to this ruling elite, which has, which have become rich, they have become very, very wealthy complements of our dishonest fiat monetary system that has enabled that to take place. Turning hard times into good times is about finding ways for average folks, like most of you who listen to this show, to turn what are hard times into at least wealth-preserving situations, and if possible, finding ways to actually increase your wealth by honest measures that help our fellow product, our, our fellow citizens in the process. So to start with, uh, you need to be able to save your wealth. But how can that be done when we don't even know what shape this impending downturn will take? Will it be a deflationary depression like that of the 1930s, or will it be an inflationary depression? Well, Dan Oliver will be with me in the second segment of today's show to outline three possible outcomes and what that may mean for gold and gold share investments through the impending downturn. We do have to go to break now, but when we come back, Chen Lin will be with me to give us his view on COVID-19, his thoughts on the biotech sector, some prospects perhaps uh, for the biotech sector and some stocks that he may think uh, will give you a chance to, uh, to profit from it. Uh, Chen has done very well. And in fact, I believe has just recently made some money uh, with a COVID-19 biotech stock. But we'll hear what he has to say right as soon as we come back from the commercial break. So don't go away. I'll be right back with Chen Lin. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NS NSRPF and on the TSA. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. 
Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. Uh, I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have Chen Lin with me. Uh, welcome, Chen. Thanks for joining me again. Well, great to have you as always. Um, you know, I know that you're very well plugged into what's going on in China. At least you have a lot of friends in China yet, and you talk to them uh, on a regular basis. Um, so I have a couple of questions to, that's related to COVID-19 and uh, and and the uh, also as well the uh, the trade wars and other things, we do have, unfortunately, seemingly a growing tension between the United States and China. But with respect to COVID-19, Chen, you know, uh, China has about, when I looked at the um, Johns Hopkins University website, they keep track of every country in the world, how many cases uh, that are reported and how many deaths and a lot of statistics there. And they show that China has only about 7% as many uh, cases, uh, I believe, as the U.S., and yet it has more than four times our population. Um, so, you know, quite naturally, a lot of Americans are wondering how reliable are those statistics? And I just thought I'd ask you if you have an opinion about that. Yes. Hi, Jay. Uh, this is a very good question. I got a lot of questions from friends, even subscribers on, on this, this topic. It's kind of, sometimes it's a little bit sensitive, you know, because there's the political things in between. But I'm I'm looking for facts, you know, right? right? And all, all my career, I'm just looking for real deal, right? Real mm-hmm. talk, real fact. And then what I have uh, is uh, I talk to uh, doctors in China. In Wuhan, it's very different. Wuhan, because uh, people just die in their home. People just was locked down, right? So people may have a um, um, little symptom, and then they cure themselves. So, and then testing was not widely available, especially in the first month. Mm-hmm. So Wuhan is a black hole, okay? So yeah. actually nobody, even doctor told me they're probably much higher than they estimate, mm-hmm. but we don't know. Mm-hmm. But we, I know that outside Wuhan, the data is almost as good as you can get. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. China, they, don't, they basically track every patient, every patient. So, Jay, if you, if you were in China, okay, so you will know how many of your neighbors in, on your street have a COVID, uh, which, which restaurant they went to, which, which shopping Center, which supermarket go, they went. So actually, all this data is available on your uh, cell phone, okay, on your app. So it's very hard to uh, to miss, you know, or misinterpret a single case. So what I said exactly what I have now is that three months ago when we were at PDAC um, for the Metals Investment Forum, my presentation was I look at the China, I cave out. Wuhan, and this is a black hole. Outside China, I look at the fatality versus the infection. Those, are, I believe, is almost as good as you can get. And I came out with a number at 0.8%. Okay, that was my presentation three months ago. It's still mm-hmm. now. This, I really stand by the number. And right now, you can see the word, the number keep changing. Some say 10%, some say less than 1%. Right now, even Dr. Fauci said, recently says about 1%. So after all these months, actually, I feel I was right. The number, mm-hmm. the estimate I have, uh, 0.8, about 0.8, you know, is probably the real fatality rate of the mm-hmm. COVID-19. And it's from China, outside Wuhan. So I believe those data are very accurate. Mm-hmm. 
Well, that's interesting uh, because uh, 0.8, of course, is is much much higher. One percent is much much higher than the than the flu. Uh, usually, it's a one tenth of one percent or something like that. But it also seems, uh, Chen, that there's an awful lot of people who may have had it, uh, who are asymptomatic, who have had it. We just don't really know yet, I guess. But you're saying you're pretty confident with that. So uh, I, I guess that makes a lot of sense. As you say, you're just looking for the facts. And um, uh, okay, well, you, you know, before the COVID issue came alive, of course, we had this trade warfare with uh, President Trump was issued, was, you know, launched a trade warfare uh, against the Chinese. And how do you think this, I mean, this this certainly doesn't make things better. If anything, this this uh, tension that seems to be, because, you know, it's a, I, I know every country has their propaganda, Chen. So I don't want to say one country has, you know, is, is telling the truth and the other company, country is telling lies. I mean, there's a mixture of both, I suppose, from, from everybody. But, of course, uh, there is this, uh, you know, there's this, this view in America and the propaganda from here is that, China uh, launched this, or they didn't care, or they left it. They left the virus come to America, uh, and they were indifferent about. And they sent people around the world, but they didn't leave people tra- uh, travel in China. So there is obviously a growing animosity between the two countries. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? And maybe combine that with the trade war. Uh, do you think they're combined somehow, or do you think one might have followed the other? Or, or what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, that's a very unfortunate event. I think um, what happened with COVID, and uh, I was uh, hoping, you know, that we can get along. But right now, it does not look like right. There's a growing blame uh, from United States, especially politicians on on China, and then there's a lot of pushback from China. Uh, I, I can see uh, even the ordinary people in China they feel uh, they they being humiliated. Okay, mm-hmm. actually push. People actually, there are a lot of people don't like the government in China. Mm-hmm. In China. Yeah, sure. They actually pushing them more towards the the, the, the communists, right? so the party. So it's a big issue. It probably takes a long time to explain, but it's very yeah. very very bad. I I feel very bad because I saw, you know, like a couple of weeks ago, I saw oh the, the 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 corn, you know, they couldn't harvest because they couldn't get out. They probably all these farmers. I feel so bad. I said China probably can. Come in to buy those cheap corn, and then show them. Yeah, you know, it's a good, you just, just you know, give them a goodwill to an American farmer. Sure. So, so I was buying in DBA the corn, but it's not happening. You know, I mean, so it, it, this is a something is beyond us. Uh, it's very unfortunate. It could be a win-win situation, but it's not. It's getting worse. So mm-hmm. uh, for all I'm hearing, uh, this, this the, the two countries actually is getting worse. And uh, so, actually, but what happened was, if you look at back almost a year and a half ago when the trade war started, actually that's when gold turned around and started moving to a new high. So, uh, remember that that was uh, December of uh, 2018, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, so that's when the trade war started. But so I think this round looks like they're going to count together, uh, United States and China, another round of trade war, and it will be very positive for gold. Okay, uh, and I have seen today is the 19th day we have consecutive increase of the ETF holding. G, uh-huh. You know, the, all the gold added together, today is mm-hmm. 19th day. Uh, it wow. happened 20 day. If there's a 20 day consecutive, it happened once in 2009 and once in 2010. Uh, what happened was a year from that, uh, gold go up average by 50%. 
Okay, so uh, if we continue to increase, I see we will. Uh, the gold, uh, gold ETF increase today and tomorrow. We'll have 20 days. And I really see gold to go to 3,000. That's my target. 3,000. Uh, what time frame, Chen? Well, in by the end of next year, I say potentially. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, it depends yeah. on a lot of factor, you know. Yeah. Jay, and then depending, it may even go down first. Because I was talking to explain to my subscribers, we are, we are living at the mercy of the Bridgewater as all these the big hedge fund. They are heavily mm -hmm. into gold. If they have re redemption, if they have liquidation, they sell gold. That's what happened when gold yeah. hit fourteen fifty recently, mm -hmm. right? It was a hedge mm -hmm. fund selling. Now last month, they, I, I, so every month I check their performance. Jay, last month mm -hmm. Bridgewater had a very good month, <laughs> so because they are shorting oil. So, so that so the, now that we, you know, at least I can sleep better. You know, at least they will not be selling at least in the near term. <laughs> but who knows <laughs> what's going to happen in the future. Hey, all right, all right, Chen. Well, just with a couple of minutes left here yet, um, you've done very well in the biotech sector. Do you see some things you like that uh, any biotechs that are uh, that are involved with uh, COVID nineteen projects? Well, I had um, you know I'm very fortunate this year. I got a ten bagger out of uh, my investment. There's a uh, Copicon, uh, CAPR. Uh, I got in you know when. You know, everybody was on sale at below a dollar, went to 11. Mm, uh, last beautiful. Week, I think last week, yeah, it was very nice. So uh, stock is, the company is doing a raise yesterday, uh, so it's good. It came down today, I mean, it's a good day. Uh, if it uh, really goes down before the next day that come out, I may, you know, I may take another look. So that, that that's the thing I'm very excited. Uh, but in general, I feel... Uh, the biotech, okay, in general, is in the breakout mode. Mm -hmm. I feel uh, the uh, of of the COVID. Uh, you know, you look at all the sectors, all the airline, all the cruise, all the other uh, hotel. They 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 very hard yeah. to predict the future, but mm -hmm. there are company can predict, which is a pharmaceutical and mm -hmm. gold company who doesn't you know, who can go through this shutdown, right? So the right. shutdown period. All right. So I feel the gold and biotech are the two best sectors right now. Okay. In, in the All right, very good, Chen. We're, we're going to have to leave it go at that. And I, I just would like to tell people it's chenpicks.com, chenpicks.com to, uh, uh, to consider subscribing to Chen's letter. It's an excellent letter. Uh, it's not inexpensive, but if you're a serious investor, you might do very well. Uh, to consider subscribing. And uh, Chen has done extremely well, especially in the biotech sector and the gold mining sector as well. So please uh, do yourself a favor and go to ChenPicks.com. Chen, we'll have to leave it go with that. Thank you so much for being with us, and uh, we'll do it again sometime soon. Folks, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away. Dan Oliver will be with us right afterwards. Dan has three different outcomes he's going to talk about, how this impending economic decline could shake out. One is his favorite, so stay tuned and hear what Dan Oliver thinks is most likely to happen as we go forward uh, into, uh, into the rest of this year. Great Bear Resources, trading under GBR on the TSX and GTBDF on the OTCQX, is a gold exploration company focused on their 23-kilometer, wholly-owned Dixie project in the prolific Red Lake Mining District of Ontario. Having recently made multiple high-grade gold discoveries, GBR is fully funded to complete a very active 200,000-meter drill program through to the year 2021. Stay up to date on what has been considered one of the best performing exploration stocks in the last two years by visiting greatbearresources.ca. 
Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with us once again Dan Oliver. Uh, Dan is the Managing Director of Mermican Capital, uh, and he has also had uh, he's also been managing uh, money for some time. Um, he has an MBA from, from INSED. Uh, he has a, a couple of degrees from Vanderbilt in English and philosophy, and uh, he has a law degree from Columbia. But most importantly, from my point of view, Dan is a critical and logical thinker, and that's why uh, he's so valuable to us. Uh, Dan, I've titled today's show, Inflation, Good and Hard. That's after your Mermican uh, research missive, dated April 13th, because I want people to really perceive what the opportunities might be for them to protect their wealth against what seems like a potentially a worst, the worst economic environment that I've lived through in my 73 years on Earth. When you are talking about um, 30 million Americans unemployed and counting, I don't think it's an overstatement to refer to the, what we're facing as a depression. Uh, I wish it weren't so, but that seems to be uh, what I see anyway. And it, if that's true, it's going to mean a tougher time for virtually everyone, wealthy people as well, to an extent. But you and I both believe history shows owning gold in one form or another, helps to preserve wealth and soften the blow. People need to start off by owning gold bullion and secondarily owning mining shares. And I know that Mermican Capital there uh, at that company, you do both. So I would like to discuss what you think is the likely outcome for both gold bullion and gold shares. Is gold shares were hit really hard with the rest of the equity markets uh, in March. Even though the price of gold held, held steady, in fact, I'm looking at the price. My average price of gold for March was 15.92. That's only five dollars lower than in February, and yet the gold shares, in spite of declining energy prices, massively lower energy prices, uh, you would think that the margins for gold mining shares probably going up, and yet the gold mining shares really got slammed hard. And um, how do you how do you account for that? Well, I mean, John, I think it's, it's pretty obvious that what happened was when, when the liquidity ended in the market and everyone had to raise cash quickly, uh, they had to sell whatever they have. If you've got a brokerage account and you've got uh, Tesla in it or, or any other stock and it gets crushed and all of a sudden you get a margin call, you, you sell what you have to, uh, not, not what you want to. So I, I think that, that was – the reason I say it's obvious is because the gold mining shares have bounced so hard. I mean, of course, you're right. If gold is going up. And the costs of mine are going down, then obviously the value of the firms have to be going up. And, and as you say, they, they, they didn't at first. They went down. And so I think we can deduce reasonably that it was a liquidity event. But I, I want to step back and address your, your earlier point about uh, the U.S. facing a depression. And mm -hmm. there are two different kinds of depressions, and that is the, the deflationary kind, which is uh, the 1930s, which we can read about history books where uh, uh, prices collapsed and, and stock market collapsed and 
and, uh, and you went through 10 years of, of horrible economic conditions. And you can also have an inflationary depression. I mean, the 70s was a mild one. Weimar Germany is, is more of an extreme case. But, but in that case, you still get depressionary uh, um, uh, conditions, but prices go up instead of down. And, and the, the, you know, it, it's hard to prepare for depression because it's, it's, it, you, you don't know which way it's, it's going to go. And mm-hmm. to, to, that, to that question, I would just point out that if, if you read – uh, economists' papers and, and, and follow the, the current economic thinking of, uh, in the university, which of course then filters into the Federal Reserve and policymaking. It is the whole structure of the of the discipline is to avoid a 1930s outcome, a, a banking collapse, mm-hmm. where whereby prices go down, you can't pay your debt, the bank blows up, and everyone loses their, loses their deposits. And so th- they will print and print and print and print some more to avoid that outcome because that's in their DNA. They, 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 are, they are set to be having the infl- inflationary outcome and not the deflationary outcome. And, and this is my theory. This is this was stated by Powell himself the other day when he gave a, a – a, a, I think it was the Brookings Institute and someone asked him about all this money printing and inflation. And he, he, he said bluntly, we don't care about inflation. <laughs> yeah. This is an existential banking crisis, which it is. Because again, if they if they let prices collapse, the banks will all go down. It doesn't matter what the balance sheets look like; they'll all go down. And so we said, look, we, you know, our job—we didn't say this—but their job was to save the banks. And so therefore, uh, they're going to—you know—they they call it the economy, but it's really the banks. Yes. So we're we're going to print as much money as we can to avoid that outcome. And so I I I think this informs what investors should do because. I do think that, of course, the stock market's in the bubble, and of course, prices are, are all too high. But and 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 I wouldn't be surprised at all. In fact, I expect to have deflationary impulse moves as the market tries to uh, uh, apply uh, rational valuations to to various companies. Uh, but whenever that happens, the Fed's going to run in and and print the money to save save the day, save the banks, and save the, the real people uh, who who matter in this country. And that is you know, look look who run. Uh, policy economics and, and, and the policy making institutions, it's most people from Goldman Sachs or from uh, Impal himself was a partner at the private equity firm Carlisle, so the private equity has a huge influence. These are who their friends are. They, they don't know anyone who runs a diner that employs three people. That's just not on the radar. We, what's on the radar is BlackRock and Blackstone and, and, the, and all these huge organizations. And so they get phone calls from these people saying, oh, my God, we're going to bankrupt, and they'll print the money. And so I, I think that's, that's again, you, you have to be prepared for lurching moves lower in pricing because that's what the market wants to do. Yes. But then you also have to realize that that you, when that happens, the Fed's going to run in. And, and this is why I've said stated often, I, I didn't know myself which way gold would lurch. When, when the bubble finally popped, obviously I didn't know that this Wuhan virus was going to come. But, you know, something was going to come. There's always some event that, that pricks a bubble. And the question was, would gold get uh, crushed the first way it did in 2008? Or would it soar? There were reasons uh, on either side. But but the reason I was comfortably agnostic was because I, I, I knew, I mean, knew maybe too strong, but I, I highly suspected that if we had a deflationary impulse move whereby gold went down along with everything else, the, the Fed would run in and say the day, and that's exactly what happened. So I, I think it's it's all liquidity driven at this point. It's liquidity driven, and uh, it doesn't seem to really reach the real market. So the real economy, I should say. I think that was uh, David Rosen Rosenberg who recently said there's only like an eight or nine percent correlation between the stock market, the S and P 500, and the uh, and the economic and the economy. So it's uh, pretty disturbing, and it's, essentially it seems as though what happens is. 
uh, money flows into the financial sector and the people who are already very wealthy are getting even wealthier relative to the masses. And it's uh, <clears throat> it, it really Jay, seems that's to be exactly there. right. And when you said that you know, it may be that uh, the wealthy will get hurt, too, you know, I mean, yes, at some point, but not yet. Right. Because what 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 fiat currency, what printing money does is it concentrates wealth at the top uh, and, and everyone else loses. And so if you look at, for example, income distributions since 1971, yeah, they're pretty steady through 71, and then we went off the gold standard, and it just went berserk, right? The, to the top, whatever it is, 1%, 10%, however you measure 0.1%, uh, uh, starts getting all the gains. And that, that's that's endemic to a, an inflationary economy. Uh, we saw that, that trend accelerate after 2008 because of all the money printing, because all the bailouts, the bank bailouts, all the money flowed up to to uh, the top. And, and, and we saw that. In part because as little firms failed because they couldn't reach the bailouts the big firms got, right? The private equity firms ran and bought them all, and so the percentage of the economy that's controlled by big money interests by centralized command and control companies uh, went up, right? And now the same thing is going to happen this time, where it's a bigger crisis. They're going to put more money. More money is going to go to the uh, to the uh, uh, people, the important people who command lots of assets, and they'll wind up buying up all the sectors of the economy that, that, that don't have that uh, access to that bailout money, and, uh, and we'll find the economy is even more centralized than it was before. So, I, I, you know, the, the number of rich people keep going, keeps going down, but the people in that favorite class will keep getting richer as long as the system keeps going. And I keep seeing headlines saying, hey, since the panic began, billionaires have made, I, I, I forget the number, it's, you know, actually $300 billion, some, some you know, enormous mm-hmm. amounts of money because their mm-hmm. stocks have gone up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and this is why, because they are in the flow of liquidity. And so they don't care what happens to the real economy. It is not inconsistent to have bread lines for the working class and the rich people be, be really rich. It's not it's not uh, uh, sustainable and it's not it's not an equilibrium. And of course, it won't last forever. But as long as they're willing to put the money, they can push it a very long time. And the only question for gold investors, I, I think, is how, how far can they push it? How near the end are we getting? And I suspect we're getting near the end, uh, but it's hard to say exactly what it is. And in any case, I think when the end comes and the, and the market actually stages a run on the Federal Reserve, and that's what I'm looking for as an end game, right? as, as you may, militias may know, until, the, uh, until World War I, uh, every Western central bank in the world had a uh, was on the gold standard, and you could show with a bank with an ounce of gold in your hand and hand it over, and they give you paper money, or vice versa. You could show up paper money, at your dollars or pounds or francs or whatever they are, and say, "I want, uh, I, I want gold," and they would give it to you. And they, that, that that stopped in World War after World War One, and stopped in the U.S. and in the 30s. But but the, the two were. Uh, Entirely convertible, and and it would happen that there would be runs on central banks where people would show up at the central bank and say, hey, you know, we don't trust you anymore. Give us the gold, and, and the bank would literally close its doors. I mean, that happened in it, 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 they made the Great Depression happen in Austria and places like that, Germany, uh, and 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 England. And, uh, and so now, obviously, you can't do that. You can't go to the Fed and say, hey, here are my dollars, give me gold. But what you can do is you can take your money and go to a coin store and say, I don't want these dollars, give me give me gold. And so the way the market stages a run on a central bank today is it says, we don't trust you. We don't trust the value of your assets. So we're going to mark up gold, which is on your balance sheet, to a price that backs your liabilities. And, and that, you know, as the Fed's balance sheet keeps expanding, that number keeps going up. And and so uh, uh, the, the, you know, it's, it's easy. I wrote a paper a few months ago talking about 10,000 on gold, and that was before all this happened. Uh, and 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 the numbers now are staggering. I mean, to, if if the market stages run, the Federal Reserve 
uh, prices are going well above $10,000 an ounce. So that, yeah. that's the real end game. But, but we don't even need that right now because this, the model right now is, I think, the 2008 collapse, the 2009 money printing. And we all know that for a good two, three years after that, they, they intentionally devalued the dollar to enable debts to become more easily paid. And they'll do the same thing today. And so gold has to go up anyway for their sake to keep the system solvent. So I expect gold to go up no matter what happens. And then the question will be two or three years down the road when we're looking from a much higher level. All right, is this the end game when gold is going to go up another uh, a few fold or are we going to have another big credit bubble and then gold will have a tough, tough road for a little bit? Yeah, that's the question. Will there be another bubble? Will there be another uh, another cycle, another credit cycle before there's some That's sort right. of a major reset of the system. That's right. That's and, right. you know, uh, most people, um, I dare say we may have a billionaire or two lurking on this show listening in, but most of us are, are more average uh, people, upper middle class, middle class folks that listen to this show. So I, I hear what you're saying is that take your savings from fiat and put it into gold. You know, I think it was since the beginning of this century if you just bought gold bullion, you would have outperformed Warren Buffett's investments, uh, his his um, his fund uh, that uh, that trades publicly, and um, and I think that's pretty remarkable. But um, what you're saying at now, you can almost count on it. it's not that gold rises in value; it's just that the currency becomes devalued. Well, and so it, it, it does it does it does rise in value, and and you know Warren Buffett will say it has no yield. That's actually not true. If, if you think about technology. As technology increases, it lowers costs. That's what it does. Now, it doesn't lower the cost necessarily in dollar terms because yeah. there's so much inflation in dollars. But if you look at the purchasing power of gold, uh, it's gone way, way up. Another way of saying that, gold's purchasing power has stayed constant, and the, and the cost of things have collapsed because yes. of technology. So, yes. in fact, you get a purchasing power uh, a dividend just by holding gold in a vault. And that's pretty compelling because yeah. there's no risk for that. Yeah. Right, so I, I'm not sure I agree with that. Not sure. Um, well, yeah, okay, that's very that's very good. I know some people take a look at uh, you know what an ounce of gold would buy back in in Roman times and compare it now. <clears throat> but what you say, obviously, you know, with with technology that uh, that can do things and ma- and add to add efficiency in manufacturing or or medicine or whatever you're you're talking or about. innovation, innovation. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So okay, so well, at the very least, then at least what you're doing is preserving your wealth. That's right. Rather than holding it and and uh, very possibly doing better, so average people can, um, you know, they can protect themselves. That's the point of this, and that's what I think we're trying to get at. Dan, with that's just, exactly right. And, and Jim, you know, and they don't protect themselves with bank balances, right? Because yeah. the interest rate is paid zero. There's inflation, so they actually lose when they got deposits in the bank system. Whereas when you hold gold bullion over time, you you make you you increase purchasing power, which is the point of savings. So it, it's a natural thing to do. Uh, Dan, I'd like to ask you a little bit about. Um, I mean, you alluded to the the 2008 situation where uh, they printed enormous amounts of money. I, I guess what I'd like to ask you first of all is, are we facing? Is this a liquidity crisis, or are we facing an insolvency crisis, or both? Well, of course. Of course well, I mean, <laughs> yeah. From the Fed's perspective, there's no distinction because they, they say oh, nothing is a solvency crisis. It's all liquidity. What they mean is, if you print enough money. We can bail everyone out, and that's yeah. that happened in 2008, right? Think, of course, it's a solvency crisis. But if you print up three trillion dollars and sprinkle it around, and then Wall Street levers it up, then no one goes bankrupt. You say, "Hey, see, it was liquidity. It was insolvency. No, yeah. no one went bankrupt." So it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And it's the same thing now. I mean, we we have been living, we are living in the greatest credit bubble the world has ever seen. Of course, all these institutions should be insolvent because they're 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 chocolate bar full of malinvestments. And the only reason they're not is because 
the the bells at the banks that provides the credit for these things. And so it's the the two. There is no distinction in a a credit bubble. I mean, of of course, it's it's both. Right. Um, Okay. so we started seeing the current uh, problems arise before before COVID-19. We started seeing issues uh, back in September of last year. Uh, with the repo crisis, talk to us a little bit about the repo crisis. What is first of all, what is the repo market, and then why is it so important, and why is it really tipping us off to something bigger going on? All right, well, I'll try to condense it. In the, in the tax week model, uh, you, you deposit a dollar in, in the bank, and they lend out ten dollars, uh, and that's the fractured bank system. And they generally buy treasury bonds because that that's the reserve asset, and then they they finance mortgages, all, all, all sorts of other things. What, what the repo market is is the shadow bank system. So people say, I don't want to put my money in the bank uh, because there are FIC limits and, and things like that. So I'll put it in a money market fund. So the money market fund becomes like a, a center of deposit, like a bank. And that fund then goes out and buys treasury bonds and mortgage-backed securities to triple A-rated stuff. And they can lever that stuff up 20 times. Right? They can deposit a bank and borrow against it or they can, they can, they can lever it up. So, so that's how they get a return on, on your cash is by taking your overnight funds and going to buy a year – or two-year out AAA rated paper, and and that that now system is now what funds the housing market and the treasury market. It's not really the banks. It's it's more it's more of those structures. And so what happened in in September was because uh, the, the trigger was that there was a big tax payment due or co- corporate taxes were due September fifteenth. Uh, uh, so all sorts of corporations withdrew money from the from their money market accounts to pay their taxes to the to the treasury, and all of a sudden these guys. Discover they own these, you know, a year-long treasury bond, but 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 they, they borrow money overnight, and so all of a sudden they couldn't borrow the money because the banks wouldn't lend it to them because the banks were, were had, had, had their own limits, and so the repo market went went uh, collapsed essentially. Interest rates went to ten percent. Well, of course, as you know, at a ten percent interest rate environment, you know, Wall Street would, would just disappear. So with the private equity industry, it was just it's just untenable. So the Fed ran in and said, hey, we will lend money into this market. Um, uh, to, to shore it up, and this is just a temporary problem because it was a tax payment issue. And again, it, it was a trigger, but then it was, oh, well, we need more liquidity for, for a quarter-end balancing. As you probably know, these guys, there's something called repo, I think 105s, where on the last day of the quarter, all these banks and, and, and other players uh, uh, sell all their assets, or I mean, uh, of course their assets, and then agree to buy back the next day. And why do they do that? They do that so they can report to the SEC and their investors they've left levers than they actually have. So it's, it's basically fraud, and the Fed enables it by saying, oh, we know they're going to do it, so we'll liquefy it to enable them to do it. I mean, it's absolutely crazy. But the problem still didn't go away. So then they said, oh, well, it's, just, it's going to be year-end rebalancing, and they kept having excuses. And then, of course, the problem never went away. And and so the, the question was, is there too little cash? And that's what the Fed thought, there's too little cash. But the flip side is, were there too many treasury bonds and too many mortgage-backed securities for the existing cash to finance, which, of course, is also true. And so they only looked at the cash side. They didn't look at the, at the supply side of, of the or the, the, the demand for this money. So the, the point is that the bubble is already teetering because there were too many of these assets that did have been overbuilding in housing and commercial real estate and, of course, much too much deficit spending. And, and that's what's blowing up. And so the Fed said, hey, by, by liquefying this market, and that's the word they liquefy, by, by printing money and, and lending this market, we're going we're gonna, to – Keep rates where we want them. But what they really were doing was printing money to finance deficits and to finance housing construction and, and office building construction. That's what they were doing, and and the Fed had to do it because the bubble was fraying. And so again, th- that was already happening when when the Wuhan yeah. virus showed up. And and then when you have a sudden stop 
in an equity economy, like everyone tightens their belt and for a few months and then go on as before, so what, right? But when you have to have a sudden stop where everyone owes huge amounts of debt and the debt payments are coming, well, that's a major problem. It's the Fed now has to print up all those interest payments that nobody can make because there's no economic activity happening uh, while the economy shut down. You know, the question is when they, when they restart up again, the Fed has this idea that they can get some of that back which is what Bernanke promised us in 2009 and 10, as you recall. Oh, it was just temporary. It would cause inflation. If it were permanent, but it's not permanent, we're pulled back. Of course, they, they couldn't pull it back when they tried. The economy almost blew up. And they'll discover the same thing this time. When they try to get the money back, uh, the economy will, 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 will teeter, and they won't be able to do it. So this money's out there. It's not coming back. And it's going to have huge, huge implications on the currency, on markets, and gold, and all sorts of things. Right. I mean, under normal circumstances, if we could get, ever get back to it, you'd let the rates rise to clear the market so you could have real price discovery of capital and then uh, efficient allocation of capital instead of suppressing the price and then all kinds of malinvestment well, take, that's takes right. place. That's right, and that's what Volcker did, and there, and there was – uh, the debt level was small enough, so it was painful in 1980 when it happened, but we survived. There's no way, there's no way that the world can survive 20% interest rates. I mean, today, it's just, it's just, I mean, it, it just would be a horrible, horrible depression. I just and, can't allow it. Right. And everywhere you look, Dan, I mean, it's just hard to see with revenues collapsing in almost every sector. A few of them are actually benefiting, I suppose, but for the most part, almost every sector you look at, except for you know, people that deliver things or I think gold is doing well, gold mining shares are doing well, and I'm, I'm looking at some projected earnings for the top larger gold mining companies are looking very strong right now. So I think that's an area that people can do well in. But it's just hard to see. I mean, it's hard for me to comprehend the massive amount of destruction, the massive amount of shortfall and and, uh, and losses and layoffs and uh, and the amount of money that has to be printed, I mean, to try to – to fill the gap, Dan, it doesn't seem possible. I mean, we're looking at—I think possible. we're looking at a hyperinflation yeah. of the currency. Whether or not that results in hyperinflated prices, I don't know. But I mean, how many trillions of dollars is the Fed going to have to print? I mean, all the states that are in trouble—they want money now. That's right. So, and, and, and apparently, the, the CBA always says already says the deficit this this year. Is going to be three and a half trillion dollars. That's the deficit, and, and that's before they pass the next stimulus bill, which they're already working on. And so, to answer your question, is I think the Fed's printed three trillion dollars on its balance sheet. Uh, Congress has already committed to spending another three trillion dollars, uh, or two and a half trillion dollars actually, add a trillion or two to that. So it's going to be trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. And and one thing that I make in, in reference in the in the in the piece I wrote recently, which you referenced, is that the QE after two thousand nine was. Reserves to the banks. It wasn't a helicopter drop of money to consumers. It was mm -hmm. reserves to the banks, and the mm -hmm. banks use the reserves to go lend against the construction of assets like buildings and, and yes. power plants and that yes. kind of thing. And so then you get overcapacity, and prices actually come down in some some areas, right? And but in the meantime, you get lots of employment. And it's got sugar high, the Keynesian sugar high you get. Yes. This is not that. Right? This is money being given to workers who aren't working, right? So they can buy stuff, which is great, but. But the, the, I mean, nothing against the workers. But the point is, when you do that, you, you're, you're not you're not creating more assets that mm -hmm. back this currency. You're just mm -hmm. you're just funding current expend uh, current expenditure, and that's why I think these QEs are very very unlike the QEs in 2009 and 10. Mm -hmm. I think I think these QEs go directly to consumer spending, which is going to push consumer prices way 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 higher as soon as they reopen the economy, and and that's a huge distinction. And gold is just going to absolutely love that. So that that's a, a big difference. You end your essay. Uh, three possible outcomes. What are those three possible outcomes, and which one do you think is most likely? Yeah, so, I mean, the, the first outcome is that the Fed just simply doesn't have 
what it takes to print as much money as they need to. And the example I give is if, if you lend Boeing $10 billion tomorrow, right, they, they would repay their existing debts for sure, but nobody's ordering airplanes right now. And so this is this Keynesian pushing on, on a string scenario uh -huh. where it doesn't matter how much debt you put out and there's no demand, and so therefore you wind up in a, in a depression. I think that's the least likely because I think that the government always will spend money and they live money the government. Again, the whole DNA of the economics profession is to avoid that outcome. So I, I don't think that that is going to go, go, going to work. And then you know, another outcome is that uh, that uh, the the Fed prints all this money and Wall Street siphons a lot of it out, which of course is actually happening. Uh, and, and there's a huge part in the asset market. So the asset markets go absolutely bananas, and we get uh, uh, the S and P goes to new record highs and, and then some. And meanwhile, economic. Uh, uh, performance uh, in, in everywhere else is, is has collapsed, and so again, there's that scenario where you get this weird uh, uh, scenes of bread lines, uh, and then also Wall Street having a party, which doesn't seem possible because Wall Street's supposed to reflect the real economy, but of course, again, it doesn't. So that that's that's um, that, that's option number two, and option number three, which which could happen now or could happen after option number two. It depends you know, on the timing. It's just a currency collapse, right? When 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 if you look at historical instances where uh, where the governments fund themselves through money printing and not taxes, and, and this year and next year is going to be, I mean, well, I mean, like forty percent or some number like that or more. Uh, usually, you wind up with the currency crisis. And so, by printing so many treasury bonds, can the Fed really keep rates at zero? And that, that, that's what they said they're going to do. They're going to buy as many treasury bonds as it takes to keep rates at zero. That's where that's their policy. That's where they want them. But I mean, my goodness, the, the Fed, the, the Treasury is going to have to sell. Uh, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a trillion dollars a year anyway before this happened. Now it's going to be four trillion dollars of, of deficits. The Fed's going to buy all those things, and then if the market's spooked, they may have to buy everyone else's treasuries too. And others of countries start dumping these things because they're toxic. And all of a sudden, you could have you know what what does rapidly become a Weimar situation where the central bank is the only buyer of the government bonds, and and so you've a, a massive, massive increase in in uh, in, in in currency and and uh, credit in the bank system, and then and then you wind up in a semi hyperinflation unless the, unless they let the government fail essentially, and that's unimaginable. So I I think that's has a very likelihood of happening just simply because of the magnitude of what they're doing to to the central bank's balance sheet and the uh, and and the uh, and the currency. In, in the latter two scenarios, gold as well. On a nominal basis and a real basis, uh, and the first one, gold is well on a real basis, but not obviously a nominal basis because all prices will collapse. So you'll think, oh my God, I shouldn't have bought gold because because gold is, is going down in price. But you'll discover it's actually going up in purchasing power. And, and also, is a critical point, which is that you say, well, dollars are great, but in, in share number one, the banks will fail and they'll be worked out, and so your deposits might not be available. So yeah, theoretically, holding dollars is better, but unless you have a suitcase of cash in your basement. Right, if it's in the bank, you may not get to be able to get to the cash, and then the suitcase, the police will show up and say you must be a drug dealer, and they'll take it. So it, it's it's not obvious how you project your purchasing power through raw dollars in that scenario anyway. So gold's probably a good place to be in in any case. Yeah, well, so I, I, you, I, I, I hate to be so sure. You, know, you, you never want to be so certain. Well, you know, this investment definitely work out. I mean, you know, other things happen. But I guess it's possible that. We get a credit bubble like from 2009 to to, to now, and gold yeah is under pressure. But I just it, it's just hard to imagine that scenario happening again, given what's happening in the economy today, and given the again the magnitude of the Treasury's response and the Fed's response. That seems like an unlikely outcome, but I mean, one has to acknowledge it's, it's possible. Yeah, Dan, just uh, just to clarify, uh, maybe real quickly, the difference between outcome number two and outcome number three. 
Yeah. If you could. Two is we get intensification of the past 10 years, right? So Tesla goes screaming higher, like Wall Street goes higher, right? Apple, Microsoft, all these things are going higher. There's no real currency crisis. Rates stayed zero, right? Wall Street's having a great time. Uh, uh, everyone actually works for a living has having a terrible time. They can't make their rent, their 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 jobs getting squeezed, they're getting fired, all you know, all that all that business, right? And which is again a dichotomy, but but it's possible. Number three is you get a currency crisis where rates go to 10, 20 percent, right? And and the and the and Wall Street blows up, and and the dollar goes down 90 percent in value, and you you get a, a a third world style currency crisis. And then they'll put capital controls on everywhere, and and you'll see see much more um, a hard control of, of capital in the economy by by the government. But that's a very different outcome. So that would that would mean that the Fed would be unable to keep interest rates at zero. There would be a loss of confidence in the currency itself. Right. People people wouldn't want the currency; they would dump it. They would yeah. buy tangible assets, causing prices to rise. the Fed loses control of interest rates, so they just give up and rates go crazy, and then the banks collapse, or the Fed is forced printing, you know, twenty trillion dollars, some number like that, right? To, to not just buy the deficit money, the new deficit money, but all the other holders of treasuries that now went out of the market, and so so rates do stay at zero, but the but the increase in currency is, is so tremendous that the that the value of the dollar collapses anyway. Um, so the, those are two two different variants of that same outcome. That's so, what a currency collapse looks like. I mean, I'm trying to get my head around why the Fed wouldn't be able to just suppress the rates by, by well, con- because people just wouldn't accept the currency. About, yeah, I mean, think about it. Imagine if, if the Fed got in a position where, again, they had to buy all every incremental treasury bond plus every treasury bond in the market they weren't selling because they're spooked because they don't want to hold the currency because the currency is losing value, right? And all of a sudden, what, what's the current treasury bond? Portfolio of the Fed today. I mean, if you don't count the uh, Social Security, it's like 20 trillion or something, or will be soon, right? So the Fed all of a sudden has to buy 20 trillion dollars of Treasury bonds, okay? And then and then they're going to say, oh my God, you know, we we've just increased the amount of base currency by by seven times, like you know, in, in the next year or two, right? And then they have to say, well, okay, banks, we can't let you use the fractional process. If you do that, there'll be another 100 trillion dollars of money. Well, we can't have that because then the currency completely collapses. But you could have a collapse anyway of, of foreigners who say we don't want to have uh, dollars because the Fed just printed twenty trillion of them. I mean, that, that is a possible outcome. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, uh, obviously, President uh, Trump is worried about that because there was some talk about the United States reneging on its uh, repayment of Chinese uh, to the Chinese. But that's the treasuries. that's political. I mean, that's saying yeah. you know, China, you caused this problem. Yeah, but uh, so uh, but Dan, a trillion dollars, we'll just we'll just write it off. But Dan, what, we were able to live beyond our means for so long because of the kindness of strangers. True, the foreigners were buying treasuries. That seems to be waning in any event, doesn't it? Isn't it? Or do you think that our uh, that the because of the liquidity of the dollar and the relatively higher interest rates is it almost zero, but nonetheless still positive, slightly? Well, this is a slightly different t- topic, which is that the dollar is currently still the funding currency of the world, and so as I've talked about elsewhere, there's there was three trillions of, of base money now, it's more like six, uh, and there's ninety trillion dollars of debt in dollar terms. So if you don't pay your dollar debts, you 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 lose your collateral, right? You default, and no one, no one wants that. And so there's a huge demand internationally for dollars to pay your debts. Well, again, if the dollar collapses in value so you can pay your debts back easily, that's a problem for the reserve currency status, right? Or if everyone defaults, that's not a problem because now you don't own dollars anymore. Everyone just say, we're, we're not paying you, sorry. Uh, and, and the reason that hasn't happened in the past is because uh, if you're a country like Argentina, for example, you, you agree to a workout because you want to access 
international markets again and get more dollar debts. I mean, that's insane, but you do because you're a politician. You want to spend all the money today. You don't want to spend tomorrow, so you want to borrow as much as you can. And everyone wants that, and so the dollar continues through these organizations set up after World War II, right? But it, but if you had a if you had a currency crisis in the dollar, all that all that would go away, and and, and all of a sudden, you, as you say, you would lose what I think Jacques Rueff called the exorbitant privilege of the United States of the ability to run deficit without tears. And imagine. Jay, if the Congress actually actually had to balance the budget, like all of a sudden because the market just cut out the credit yeah, card, imagine right. social trauma and the economic pain My goodness. that would come along. Yeah. My goodness. And, yeah. and the rates of interest that would be required. Yeah, it's, unf- it's not fathomable to us uh, who have enjoyed it's, this. It's not fathomable, but it will happen. I mean, yeah. that's, that's the thing. All right, uh, Dan. I think that you know to try to say where the price of gold is going is is really impossible to say. But Jim Rickards on the show suggests fourteen thousand. He explained his reasoning. I, I mean, do you care to? You mentioned ten thousand, but I mean, this is a moving target because the money. It's a moving being, target. It's yeah. a moving target, Jay. But the point is, uh, the way I look at it, look at the Fed's balance sheet. Now, Jim Rickards, and I disagree about that because he says, well, the gold, the Fed has no gold on its balance sheet, it's all the Treasury Department. And my point is that's totally irrelevant. The, the Treasury Department balance sheet and the Fed's balance sheet are essentially the same thing. It's the government's balance sheet. This is the government script, and there's that much gold. We think, right? Now, as you know, no one's seen this as the 50s, but let's assume it's there. If you assume it's there and you say to yourself, at what price does gold have to go to, now, not 100% backing it, but to provide a regional backing the dollar, 50%, two-thirds in a crisis, some number like that, yeah, you get up to ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 an ounce. Now, if the gold's not actually there, if, if, if Larry Summers stole it all, which I think is possible, then uh, the, the, the number goes a lot higher. So, I mean, you know, treasury bonds won't be worth zero. I mean, you know, there will always be some tax revenue, some economic activity. They just won't be worth uh, a 30-year bonds won't be trading at 2%. Uh, yield, right? And and so they'll, they'll go down in value by 70, 80, 90%, yeah. something yeah. like that. Well, Jim Rickards worked in intelligence. Uh, maybe he knows something we don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but, but in any event, uh, thank you so much, Dan, for being with us. And, um, you know, I, I think the point that we want to make is that people need to own gold and gold shares secondarily. <laughs> Yes. Um, I'm, I'm extremely excited about the gold share markets, and I think you are yes. too. I know yes. I, I know at least one company that you own that I like a lot as well. Uh, and so I think that people need to look at you know ways to preserve wealth and and for the benefit of their their friends and their families. So thank you very much for helping to explain this all to us, uh, Dan. And all the best to you and uh, to you and yours. Take care. Thanks, All right, folks. Well, that's it for this week. Next week, we're going to have Axel Merck and Alistair McLeod with us. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.